this evening we're looking at verses 22 to the end of the Psalms, that Psalm 22. Psalm 22, verse 22 through to verse 31. Having looked at the suffering of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross and his unwavering faith in the Lord his God, we now come to verse 22 which marks the beginning of a final section that takes us beyond the cross to the exaltation of Jesus and his praises to the congregation of the Lord. Let's have a look at verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. These words come immediately after a verse in which we see Jesus saying, Save me from the lion's mouth. Jesus was heard. His prayer was answered. Not that he was delivered from dying. He wasn't. He came into this world to lay down his life for sinners, for people like you and me at the cross. So he wasn't delivered from dying. He laid down his life for sinners, but death could not keep him. And now in verse 22, Jesus says, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. There is no reason to imagine that Jesus was simply referring to his half-brothers born of Mary, when he said, my brethren. Rather, he was referring to the congregation. We see that in the next verse anyway, in verse 23. My brethren, the congregation, in other words, the church. Similarly, in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, it is written, He is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren in the midst of the church. I will sing praises unto thee. We get that in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. Jesus delights in the church, which he purchased with his own precious blood. Little wonder, he said, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. My brethren, speaking of each one of you in here who belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ, male or female, brethren of the Lord Jesus Christ. Little wonder when Mary Magdalene saw the risen Saviour outside the empty tomb, what did Jesus say to her? He said, go to my brethren. Again, he was referring to the disciples. And what is it that Jesus was keen to declare unto his brethren? Let's have a look at that verse again. Verse 22. I will declare thy name unto my brethren. The name of God, and what a precious subject that is to the believer. And that's what Jesus was keen to declare to the brethren. The name of God. The name of the Lord, his God. As it is written in John chapter 1 and verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, he have declared him. He has declared the name of the Lord to people like you and like me. 
It is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his death on the cross that we learn of God's love. This is declaring God, isn't it? You just think about Jesus and the cross and you can learn something about the love of God. Not forgetting his mercy, his grace, his holiness and his judgments. We would know nothing of those things if it were not for Jesus and his cross, would we? Nothing at all. Again, verse 22, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. Jesus said, in the midst of the congregation will I praise thee. About 2,000 years on now from Calvary and Jesus is still proclaiming the love of God in his church, in the midst of his church, a church which spans the whole earth and pays no attention to international boundaries. Jesus achieves this through his representatives, people like me, preachers, Sunday school teachers and various other people who are, who at best, are echoes of his voice. In verse 22, Jesus reveals the reason for proclaiming God's name in order that God may be praised in the assembly of the saints. Verse 23, Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him and fear him. All ye the seed of Israel, What's all that about fearing God? I did say that, didn't I? Ye that fear the Lord, praise him. All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. And fear him, all ye the seed of Israel. A holy fear of God is the preserve of the church. As it is written in Psalm 89 and verse 8, God is greatly to be feared in the assembly of of the saints. He's greatly to be feared here in this church and to be had in reverence of all them that are about him. As can be seen in verse 23, it is those who fear God that praise him. It is only when you fear God that you praise God. In fact, a fear of God is consistent with the highest joy and is in no way incompatible with faith. As Spurgeon said, faith and fear can live in the same heart and are very sweet companions when the fear is a filial fear, a holy dread of disobeying God. Also in verse 23 it is written, All ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him. Jesus calls us, to glorify God. It's not an option, it comes from the Son of God. Glorify God. Also, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 31, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, whether you, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. That's quite a tall order, isn't it? How can we, who are by sinful nature, children of wrath, glorify God in all that we do? 
Any suggestions how we can glorify God? Do you feel that you are someone who can glorify God in all that you do, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, do for the glory of God? A good start would be, and of necessity, a good start would be to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That must be in place before anything else. And once that is in place, then God will look upon you not as a proud and unrepentant sinner, someone who thinks that they can go through this life without their maker, without their creator almighty God, clothed in filthy rags of self-righteousness. No, the person who is trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins, God will look upon that person and see someone who has been washed with the blood of his own precious son and clothed in the righteousness of God. Someone who is accepted in the beloved. To summarise verse 23, when you look at verse 23, ye that fear the Lord, praise him, all ye the seed of Jacob, glorify him, and fear him, all ye the seed of Abraham, uh, sorry, of Israel. To summarise that verse, we see that Jesus has instructed his people to fear God, to praise God, and to glorify God. Fear God, praise God, glorify God. May that be the reality with each one of us. Verse 24. For he have not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, neither have he hid his face from him, but when he cried unto him, he heard. The experience of the Lord Jesus Christ, what we've been reading for the past weeks, verse 1 through to verse 21, the experience that we've been reading of there should be an encouragement to all of us to praise God. Jesus suffered tremendous bodily affliction when wicked men buffeted him, they scourged him, they bruised him, they crowned him with thorns, they pierced him with nails in his hands and feet and with a spear in his side. Jesus suffered spiritual affliction beyond our comprehension when God laid upon him the iniquities and the chastisement of all who have trusted in him. Yet God never stopped loving his son and it was in love that God laid upon his son that heavy load of sin and he was looking ahead to his son's ultimate glory when he would be highly exalted, God himself would highly exalt his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and and his son (coughs) would be seated at his right hand, having accomplished everything that the Lord his God sent him to do. And he fulfilled everything in perfect obedience to his God. The sacrifice of the substitute sin-bearer satisfied the demands of God's holy laws and it was a sweet-smelling savour rising up to heaven. Therefore, since God has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of his beloved Son, 
all of you who believe have every reason to render to God the calves of your lips, the sacrifice of praise. Praise God. Also in verse, 20, verse 24, we read, Neither have he hid his face from him. Do you see that in the middle of verse 24? Neither have he hid his face from him. Men hide their faces from Jesus. Why would that be? Why do you think people hide their faces from Jesus? It's not such a difficult question because if you're not a Christian, you do just that. And even if you are a Christian, Christian, you can probably remember when you weren't a Christian, why do men hide their faces from Jesus? They hide their faces from him because they hate him. That's one reason. They hate Jesus. Jesus is a conversation killer. When was the last time you had a conversation in the workplace or at school about Jesus? And also, Jesus, people hate him because his purity, his holiness, expose their sinfulness, their wickedness, and so they hide their faces from him. As for his God, the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, we read, neither hath he hid his face from him. So much for that song with the nice tune, How Deep the Father's Love for Us. You know the song? I bet we've all sung it. How deep the Father's love for us. With that line, the Father turns his face away. Look at verse 24 again. Neither have he hid his face from him. Completely and utterly different, isn't it? As we see here in verse 24, it simply was not the case that his father turned his face away. Never, ever imagine that there was a time when God turned away his face from his beloved son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Even, and perhaps especially, during the time of his affliction on the cross. Last of all, in verse 24, we read, but when he cried unto him, he heard. When Jesus cried unto his God that God would not be far from him and that he would deliver him, God heard him in all of those things. He heard him and he answered him. Let's have a look at verse 26. we we'll go to verse 26 now. The meek shall eat and be satisfied. They shall... They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. Jesus said, the meek shall eat and be satisfied in verse 26. But who are the meek? A meek person is thought by many to be a weak person. Someone who is timid, scared and cowardly. I must, think, I must say, that does tend to describe a good few Christians. But meek does not mean weak. Jesus most certainly was not any of those things, even though he described himself as meek and lowly. 
Jesus was not weak when he entered the temple court and he made a whip from some ropes and he chased out the merchants and the money dealers. Neither was he weak when he called the scribes and Pharisees hypocrites, serpents and a generation of vipers. Jesus was anything but weak when he carried in his body the weight of sin of all who have trusted in him for salvation. For our part, and before anything else, a meek person is someone who has submitted to the word of God, receiving Jesus as his saviour from sin and as his Lord. That's meekness, submitting to the word of God. From then on, that person reads the Bible as though he was sitting at the feet of Jesus accepting his words without question and without argument and not feeling the need to dismiss or to twist those words in order to conform to an evolutionary world view or the abortionist or the sexual deviance of this morally and spiritually bankrupt world. That is a meek person. Someone who sits at the feet of Jesus in submission to his will. And that is not weakness, that's for sure. Such a person feeds his soul with Jesus, who is the bread of life. He is the living bread that came down from heaven. That person shall feed upon Jesus and he or she shall be satisfied. Let's have a look at verse 27. All the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before thee. As a result of the precious blood which flowed from Emmanuel's veins, salvation blessings shall continue to reach the elect of God throughout the world until Jesus returns in judgment. Those who are blessed of God shall be ashamed of their worthless idols and their sinful ways, and they shall, by the grace of God, be mindful of Jehovah. They shall cry out to God, he will hear them, he will save them, and they will bow down before him, and they will worship him in the beauty of holiness. These are the people who shall remember and turn unto the Lord, and they will worship before him. And they will say with a loud voice, Blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb for ever and ever. Verses 30 and 31. A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. They shall come and shall declare his righteousness unto a people that shall be born, that he have done this. Back in the time of the prophet Elijah, about 900 years um, before the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, Elijah cried out to God saying, Lord, they have killed the prophets and dig down thine altars and I am left alone and they seek my life. It seemed to Elijah that he was the only one left who trusted in the one true God. All around him was false religion and the prophets of Baal. 
But what did God say to him? I have reserved to myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to the image of Baal. Like Elijah, we may feel overwhelmed by those who oppose the gospel of Christ. On this island, if you're a Christian, you can't help but feel like that. And you think, well, where are all the Christians? I sometimes felt like that in East London, as the Islamisation of Britain could be clearly seen. It was happening before my very eyes. Radical Islam. And we're going back, what, ten years now? It was in full swing then. And it has been for many years. However, here in verse 30, we read, A seed shall serve him, it shall be accounted to the Lord for a generation. In other words, we have God's assurance that as long as this world continues, there will be a remnant in every age who serve the Lord in righteousness and in holiness. One generation of the Lord's people will give way to a new generation and this will continue until the end of time. Thank God for that. Rest assured that we who belong to Jesus need never feel alone. God has his people dotted across the length and the breadth of this island, the length and the breadth of the world, and most of all, the one who cried out in verse 1 here, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? As he hung upon that centre cross, has promised that he will be with his redeemed, always, even until the end of the world. Praise God. Amen.